This is the menu, Monaco Radio's food and drink program. I am Marcus Hippi. This week we continue our trip in Beirut to see how the capital is gearing up for the return of tourists. In the next half an hour we'll meet hospitality entrepreneurs who have been working hard to keep the city a first-class destination despite all the hardships it's going through. We'll meet the founder of Lebanon's first Armenian restaurant that has grown into a brand with half a dozen locations around the world. It is Mediterranean food based on olive oil. It's very healthy. It was very rich because you have all kinds of things. You have the fish, you have the meat, you have the vegetables, you have all the greens. And for drinks, we leave downtown Beirut and continue to the neighborhood of Boujhamoud, that is home to one of the city's best bars. It ended up being full at five. Uh, rich people used to send their drivers over to book the table. Sometimes the driver had more class than the actual uh, people that followed. All that and more in the next half an hour here on the menu on Monocle Radio. Our first destination is one of Beirut's most special dining spots. When Myrig opened back in 2003, it was Lebanon's first Armenian restaurant. And what a success it's been. Myrig's authentic dishes were a hit. And in two decades, the business has grown into an international operation with half a dozen restaurants scattered around the world. Aline Kamekian is the founder of Myrig and I met her at her restaurant. Originally, I'm in insurance, and it was my father's dream to have an Armenian restaurant. And I lost my father at early age. I was 17. So I kind of vowed to realize his dream. So his dream became my mission. And what were the first steps like to open a restaurant over here? It was quite challenging, first of all, as a woman, because... uh, Back then, uh, 20 years ago, there was not a lot of women uh, in this uh, field because you work late at night and mentality here is all oh, late. And the second one, because I was not born restaurateur, because they said to open the restaurant, you have to born restaurateur. I was not born restaurant. I'm the first one in the family to start this. But honestly speaking, uh, since I love people and I love cooking, it was something nice, good. I loved it because I love to see the smile on the people when they enjoy their food. It's interesting that Armenian food still isn't particularly well-known internationally. So for our listeners who are wondering what kind of food we are talking about, what do you think are some of the best examples of, of, of the richness of Armenian cuisine? Mayrik was the first Armenian, Armenian restaurant in the whole world, uh, apart from Armenia. Uh, Armenia was big at back then, so you have the Western and Eastern Armenia. It's like Northern and Southern, you know? completely different cuisine because of the weather because of the what they planned so my my grandparents come from western armenia now called turkey and they are in spread in the whole world because of the genocide and uh, we don't have any school any um, culinary uh, certificate for the armenian cuisine and this is where mayrik comes because mayrik means mother and to be able for me to spread my armenian culture I, uh, the, it was only the mothers who could give me that. So mothers are the kitchen. They are the ones who kept this tradition going. And this is why Armenian cuisine was not very well uh, spread because we didn't have culinary school, we didn't have an independent Armenia, and we were coming out of genocide. So all this, if you put it together, and now we are 20 years, and now Armenian cuisine is getting the spread and getting the hip 
and I'm very proud to start that. What kind of food are we talking about? It is Mediterranean food based on olive oil. It's very healthy. It was very rich because you have all kinds of things. You have the fish, you have the meat, you have the uh, vegetables, you have all the grains. So it is home-cooked meat, simple but yet time-consuming because it's very refined and very aromatized since Armenia was the center of the Silk Road. So you have all these spices inside, very nice aromatized and very nice equilibrium. So you have a healthy food with a whole variety of everything you can imagine. Some of your favorite dishes? I've always been a mantel lover, which is the Armenian dumpling, let's say. Uh, it was from my, uh, whenever I was a kid. Uh, I love the fish, I love the pepper, pepper paste, which is the base of the Armenian cuisine. It's not spicy, it's not heavy, but it's uh, that gives the flavor and the color. So I love that touch. Do you think there are some original, unique features if you think about ingredients or spices or cooking techniques, for example? Is there something that you don't really see elsewhere? Yes, the uniqueness of it, it it's it uses a lot of pepper. The red pepper, what we call it, alepin pepper. Okay, The technique of using the pepper is very interesting because you don't get bloated, you don't get the, the uh, negative part of the pepper. Okay, So this is what gives a taste of uniqueness and color of uniqueness. The cooking techniques are basic old cooking techniques, which is the healthy way of cooking it, respecting the ingredients, respecting the the time of uh, and the seasonality. So this is what makes it rich and makes it very healthy uh, food. And uh, the Armenians were very innovative and uh, they like to eat like a, a tapas or the, like a Lebanese or like a Spanish. You have a lot of tapas. And everything is linked to each other. I mean, like in the same feast that you are having, you don't have the same taste in two different dishes. And this is the uniqueness of it. Because because of their richness of the spices and the ingredients, they can create like 70 dishes on the same table without the same uh, taste. <laughs> <laughs> so as you mentioned, this is Myrick, where we are now. This was the first Armenian restaurant outside of Armenia. and. The word has been spreading gradually, and what's also worth noting is that you have franchises, so Myrik can be found in some other countries. But I think interesting is that some years ago you opened in Armenia. How, how, how is that working, taking Armenian food to Armenia? Exactly. Like I said, the Armenia was big, so you have the Western and Eastern, especially that Eastern Armenia was dominated by the Russians, so automatically, and the communism, so automatically you lost everything. You lost the tradition, you lost the way of cooking. So uh, in Armenia, the existing Armenia, you don't have olives, you don't have olive oil. So that the whole thing is different there. There you have more, you were more between wine and meat, and uh, the lamb uh, with the communi communism come, we, we shifted to pork and to vodka. So they lost on the way all their cooking skills and tradition. So when I came to Armenia with my rig, I was pinpointed as not Armenian, as like, you, you're not Armenian, you're Mediterranean. I said, no, this is the Western Armenian cooking. And this is what I grew up on from my grandmother and the grandfathers and everything. So this is the culinary, the, the culinary part that I put back to Armenia. And with the war of Syria, Syrians Armenian coming back to Armenia, and Lebanese-Armenian coming back to Armenia. This is where it was the shift started to be in Armenia also. Now you see the Western and Eastern cooking, and this is where the Armenian cooking is very rich. 
obviously we don't have an unlimited amount of time to talk about all this, but what do you think your Armenian cuisine tells about the culture? I think cuisine is a very important part of culture because it tells you from, from where you're coming, what your land is giving, how your people are treating the animal and their environment. So I think the the, cult, the cuisine is, uh, is number one storyteller of your culture because for me, Armenian cuisine is healthy, Mediterranean, uh, respecting the environment with all the greenery and the, the richness that we have. Uh, nice melting pots between Ter and Mer, between the beach, uh, the Mediterranean beach and the land. So you have this nice mixture and you see the different level of people, the, the rich, the middle class, the poor. So you see the different level of how the cuisine was uh, evolved within these different levels because you see the one who's using the lamb with the fish, for example, but you see the other one who's using the lentil with leftover the fish or leftover the, the lamb with the bones and stuff. So you have this richness of creating food with the necessity uh, that you're, uh, you, you have. And how does your work promoting and supporting Armenian cuisine continue? Actually, this is my why. I started with realizing my father's dream, and then I soon I realized that I have the jacket of an ambassador of Armenian cuisine. And this is what makes me keep on going and loving, because the more they copy, the more they do Armenian cuisine, the better I am. So instead of seeing them as competitor, I'm seeing them as a helper, because they're spreading the Armenian culture. For me, this is the best gift that they can. The more they copy, the only thing that I ask from them, copy good. <laughs> because if you first time Armenian food trier and you don't like it, you won't try any other Armenian food. But if you like it, you will search for other Armenian restaurant. And this is my mission. Aline Kamakian there. She's the founder of My Rig Restaurant in Beirut. Now, someone who has been playing a big role in Beirut's restaurant scene is Karim Aragji. He started out supplying premium meat and fish to hotels and restaurants across the country, eventually launching Meet the Fish, a gourmet butcher and fishmonger where you can also stop by for lunch, dinner or a drink and shop some premium products from across the country. Since the early days, Karim has opened other businesses, not only in Beirut, but also in London, but it's at meet the fish in the heart of downtown Beirut, where I met him and his colleague Ruba Murtada to talk about how Lebanon's hospitality industry is coping now and what their idea of great restaurants is. Well, it started with Meet the Fish back in 2011 uh, and then immediately after that uh, we opened Backburner. We just had coffee there. A very nice cafe. <laughs> and then after that uh, we did Skirt, which is a meat place. Well, we do serve uh, fish as well, but it's primarily um, a... I always saw skirt as a French brasserie bistro marrying a, a, an American, uh, uh, or more specifically New York, a steakhouse, and that the child would be skirt. So it's a cross. So that's skirt. Skirt came after that. And then we did Mariul, which is our Lebanese with regional influences. And after that came Maiha, Japanese uh, omakase. Um, so yeah, I, I would say I mean we have other other brands that we're uh, we've worked on, uh, but these are I think the the, the main ones. Um, 
There's something else that we're working on for London, by the way, but it, it really depends on a, on a certain venue that we're going after. It's a Japanese street food brand called uh, Dirty Tanugui. So, Ruba and Karim, you've been working together for years, and I'm wondering, can you paint a picture to our listeners how much has Beirut changed, the restaurants, industry, and, and the mood in the city? This place has gone through some rather hard times recently. Absolutely. I mean, Beirut really is, not to sound like a cliche, but it really is a city of contradictions. Uh, and it's just able to continuously evolve and rebuild itself. Um, and I guess this is, a, you know, uh, the Lebanese psyche somehow. So when we started, so I met Karim, I think exactly 10 years ago, 2013. Okay. <laughs> it feels like much, much longer. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that's a compliment. Yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, when we started, really, there was actually a very palpable buzz in Beirut with everything. I mean, you know, there was things like the farmer's markets. People were coming back, expats who were living abroad, studying abroad. People were coming back and were really excited about entrepreneurship, doing different concepts. The world was kind of your oyster. And uh, we were part of that, you know, and just evolving and innovating. And it was a really exciting time. And so we took advantage of that. And it was a really lovely time to be here. You know, as the problems started to happen uh, and grow, uh, you kind of understood that you either had to pivot, we'll do what we do best. What are your thoughts about this situation at the moment? Look, it's difficult to actually uh, have one feeling about what's going on. It changes, as uh, Ruba said. I mean, it's uh, we just take it day by day. I mean, literally, it is. I feel like it's the law of the jungle, and we make our own laws, and we set our own standards, and we live by them. It's that simple. So what I've been impressed by this place, for example, Meet the Fishes, the retail aspect and all the amazing produce you sell over here. How much have these, if you look at what's been going on in, in the food front in Lebanon and where you get these ingredients from and all this amazing produce, how much has that been affected by the hardship this country has been going through? It's an interesting question because that was the, actually the battleground. That was the line that we drew, despite the hardships that have gone on the past three, four years. We know what our job is. What Meet the Fish is was always to provide uh, ingredients, all kinds of ingredients from all over the world to the public. So uh, while uh, priorities of most people in this country became something absolutely different than you know all these wonderful products, we made it our job to make sure that we continued doing exactly what we did pre-crisis post the crisis and post the explosion as well. So we continued and um, we took some, some, some heat for that because some people felt it wasn't the right time, but we uh, insisted, carried on, and we did not change one thing at all. Actually, we even elevated the offering. We went a little bit uh, nuts, if you will, trying to make sure to make a statement that we're here to stay and we're not gonna succumb to the uh, circumstances. What, did that, what does that mean in practice? What exactly did you do? Let's say we had, uh, I mean, if you think of certain products, I don't know, like the, the, the really... Uh, oat milk. For example, oat milk. Who, who needs oat milk in a time of crisis? Who needs, uh, I don't know, smoked salmon or, or cod or you name it. I mean, there's so many things. I mean, I, and I don't want to sound posh because that's not what it was about. It's about, you know, the, the finer things in life and making sure that they continue to be made available throughout the crisis because that's what we do anyway. And in continuing to do it, 
it was a kind of resistance. Tell me about all these producers. You mentioned, we had a quick chat before this interview, and you mentioned that there are some really nice olives, for example, you have over here. So if you, if you want to give a shout-out to some great producers or some people who do amazing things in this country, who would they be? There's, there's many. I mean, uh, uh, a brand that's been a part and parcel of, of Meet the Fish, for example, is uh, Ruba Khalil. Uh, she's an artisan who makes uh, wonderful uh, confection, confectionery and other other products as well uh, she's the one that springs to mind there's others there's uh, plenty, the pasta, the pasta plenty, locally produced fresh pasta that surprise i still don't understand how you don't need to keep it in the fridge <laughs> so we'll, we'll give you a pack now it's actually really good pasta made with organic eggs and it's just wonderful and there's a lot of people who have maintained standards we had we have a very good sourdough uh, bread maker. Yes, Masa Madre uh, springs to mind. Bliss, they make. Uh, they make. They've been collaborators for for a while now, and they have wonderful products that people come and and uh, I mean, people literally come just to pick up something from that brand. So many uh, local producers, really. Karim, in the beginning of this interview, you already mentioned that some new openings are taking place overseas. So you are opening something in London, actually. At least two openings lined up for London, maybe three even, actually, and actually, something uh, happening in Paris too. This year, we've already opened Maiha uh, in uh, in Marleybone on Children's Street. Uh, we're opening Meet the Fish in Chelsea uh, this spring. Uh, we're hoping to open Mary Yule in Mayfair early fall, along with potentially uh, Backburner and uh, Dutunugui as well, potentially towards the end of the year. So there's a lot going on in London. In terms of Paris, Skirt is opening in the uh, deuxième uh, or the second arrondissement. So. A big focus overseas. Does that reflect the situation, the balance between how businesses work in, in Lebanon versus overseas? Actually, we always had those aspirations. Uh, it became more urgent given the situation, but we always wanted to branch out to London specifically and, and Paris. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was torpedoed because of what has gone on, that's for sure. When it comes to the future of, of Beirut, how optimistic are you and, and, and what do you wish to see over here? Always optimistic, honestly. Beirut will always reinvent itself. That's something for sure, honestly. I mean, historically even, the city has been rebuilt seven, eight times, I think, from natural disaster, many other things. So I think the spirit of Beirut is exactly that. So always optimistic. I do think this time around it's going to take a bit longer just because we've been hit really hard. I mean, it's kind of the trifecta. So many things have happened at the same time. And so normally you would say Beirut bounces back in two, three years. I think this time around it's going to take like five, seven. Karim, I mean, speculating. I I, I agree with Ruba uh, on what she said earlier but I don't know, I, I don't, don't see it in terms of time. Uh, I do believe at the end of the day, uh, the private sector in Lebanon is what will bring everything back. Uh, I don't count on government, I don't count on international aid, I don't, uh, I don't see any hope in the public sector, uh, honestly, and I'm happy to be proven wrong. But I think the private sector, people like Ruba, Ruba has, uh, uh, I mean, she's been with us for 10 years, but people, there's, a lot of um, 
people like Kruba and the people I mentioned and people that you will meet on your visit here that you that are the reason why Lebanon continues to to come back uh, because of artists and the private sector, the passion that exists in in the Lebanese individual that brings this type of uh, uh, never die attitude. Kari Maragji and Rupa Murtada there. You are with the menu on Monocle Radio. Our final stop today is in the neighbourhood of Bush Hamoud, east from the most central bits of Beirut. It's been a destination famed for its souks and Armenian street food, and more recently also for having one of the city's favourite bars. Union Marks is owned by Mark Hadife, who, after a career in advertising, bought a vacant former factory and converted a part of it into a cocktail bar. And that's only the beginning, he says. I met Mark at the bar's beautiful garden. Uh, when I opened the place, people thought that I'm crazy because I opened it. It's an annex. We say, I don't know, it's annex. We say because the factory is really beautiful now i'll make you visit the factory it's uh, the, the volumes are big and and i opened union marks in a small garage uh, close to the factory where i used to repair the machines and uh, my idea was uh, no reservations uh, and i used everything is from the factory i didn't buy any furniture i didn't do any decoration and the huge tables were, uh, it was the first time in Lebanon we introduced the concept of sharing tables. And no reservations, so it was a huge success because people wanted to try it. And uh, since Lebanese like to be treated as VIP, they couldn't accept not having a table. So it ended up being full at five. Uh, rich people used to send their drivers over to, to book the table. Sometimes the driver had more class than the actual uh, people that followed and uh, it was a huge success then COVID came and we couldn't uh, have the concept of sharing tables anymore so we had to extend to the garden and uh, it became uh, very successful I think it's the only garden in Beirut also I think so yeah a big garden like this in Beirut you won't find tell me about what's happening behind the bar what what kind of drinks do you serve over here and what kind of food I'll talk about the food because I'm very proud. Uh, we have apparently I'm vegan, so uh, but from what I hear from my clients, we have the best burger ever. Some people even say it's not the best burger in Lebanon. It's one of the best they had worldwide. So this is my pride. We have a very good cuisine also. Since we're in the Armenian district, we serve some uh, revised Armenian food like sausages and mante and. And we have a wide choice of salads and uh, vegan sandwiches, healthy sandwiches. And it's going extremely well. Mark, tell me about the philosophy of this place. I think it's interesting already that you wanted to introduce the first sharing tables over here, which didn't always go down in Beirut. And also what's interesting is that, obviously, as you said, um, the decoration is its pretty original. So it's quite a rough industrial space over here. Everything is... Everything, you know, all the furnishing, everything is what was here originally already. What is your philosophy when it comes to creating a great bar? What are your ideas? What what are your thoughts about what a bar should be like? I don't know if it's good to be honest, but I'm going to be honest. This is this is not my business at all. You know, like I I, I used to work in advertising, and but what I, I opened a place that uh, I needed a place where I would like to go. So the philosophy behind it is to do whatever pleases me, and. And uh, I, I don't do any effort to, to be a 
trend follower, you know, like uh, in Beirut, for example, uh, I think you noticed maybe, uh, people like loud places. They like to have a DJ every night or it doesn't work. Like uh, they should be partying, uh, dancing on the tables. Uh, uh, like uh, here I put the music that I like. Uh, if people want to dance, they dance on the music that we like. We're not followers. We don't, I mean, we do whatever pleases me. And uh, apparently it's working and people like the concept. And obviously, it's 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 probably a bit of a statement what this bar looks like because it's 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 a bit raw. What are your thoughts about what a great bar should look like? I don't know what the, I think a bar, what, whatever place should offer an experience. This place is, is raw on purpose, you know. Like uh, I didn't want I didn't want to lose the spirit of the place. I didn't want to buy anything, so I made an an, an an effort to 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 bring everything that was in the factory all the tables whatever you see is is uh, comes from the factory and and for me going out uh, it's not about uh, you have to offer an experience like if you see here there is no sign there is just a red light on the on the entrance and i think it's an experience you come to the poorest neighborhood in in, in the city and you enter there is just a light and you have you have to walk like a hundred meters not knowing where you're going and then you discover this big garden and I think it's an experience from the garden to the toilets if you go to the toilets also it's, uh, you have to check the toilets. tell me what's in there no it's nice it's like a jungle there's a lot of trees and the birds and yeah the, the toilets is the only Instagrammable place in the, in the bar <laughs> so, oh, oh what are your thoughts about how Instagrammable places should be be honest honestly i hate instagram if you check my account you notice that uh, that i don't show anything some people tell me ah you have a beautiful place why don't you show it on instagram i'd rather have people come and discover it uh, discover the place themselves because if i put the garden uh, there is no surprise when you come here you expect to see a garden but when you expect nothing the surprise is is much bigger i think So, Mark, before you embarked on this career, you were working as a film director in advertising. I'm wondering how much has that background helped you when it comes to running Union Marks and how you created it? Wow, good question. I mean, it helped me a lot because I have a, initially I learned uh, I'm a director of photography. So uh, it helps you a lot to, 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 to create a nice atmosphere the dimmed light i have a sense of space so so i didn't need any architect i did all the interior design myself so this helps a lot yeah because i'm used to do set designs for commercials and 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 anyway i ended up buying that place because of a shoot i'm not a real estate promoter and i'm not uh, i'm not a bar uh, i never run a bar business before but i was shooting here and uh, i asked the guy wow beautiful place is it for sale And uh, that's why I, I ended up buying it. What kind of plans do you have for the future? Future, it's it's hard because, uh, you know, initially I resigned from my job to create here uh, an hotel. An hotel, oh. part of the property was supposed to become an hotel. The other part was to become uh, an artist residency. Uh, we opened uh, a theater next door. Uh, we do a lot of exhibitions. Anyway, so uh, since... In Lebanon, we have the economical crisis. They took all my money, so I became part of the nouveau pauvre, you know, the nouveau riche and the nouveau. I'm a nouveau pauvre. So now I'm trying to expand organically. I'm, I'm starting with a small hotel. I bought a building next to the factory, not in the factory. 
it's a small, it's a 12 room hotel. So this should be ready in December, uh, hopefully. And uh, then uh, I, I, I bought the street behind uh, behind Union Marks, some few houses. Uh, ideally, I'm gonna I'm gonna transform it into a nice street where I will choose the kind of restaurants and shops, and so I'll have control of the street. Hopefully. Mark Hadifa there, he owns Union Marks Bar in Beirut. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. We'll be back again on Friday at 2000 London time, that's at midday in San Francisco. Also remember our spin-off show Food Neighbourhoods, where we tour some of the world's tastiest destinations. I am Markus Hippi. This programme was researched by Monica Lillis and our studio engineers were David Stevens and Callum McLean. Once again we finish this Program with a dinner soundtrack recommendation from Lebanon. Here is Yasmin Hamdan with Samar. Thanks for listening and until next week. Stick